title of the message this morning is A New Commandment. We're going to wrap up John 13. We're going to start reading in verse number 31. If you're there in your Bible this morning, say Amen. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I ask that you would... Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Speak through your word. Lord, we are desperate to hear from you. Lord, may we be changed from your, your word today, Lord. May we not leave the same. Lord, may we be a people who are identified by your love and by the love that we have for one another. And Lord, be glorified in this service. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Judas had been dismissed. And early in verse number 31, it talks about after he had gone out, the plan had been put into motion now. Jesus knew that when Judas left that upper room, that everything would go into place, that his soon arrest would happen, the trials that he would go through, the humiliation, the condemnation, he would be sentenced to death, the beatings the mocking, the crucifixion, and the soon burial afterwards. The hour had finally come. And Jesus was looking forward to it, believe it or not. I know we're going to see Him in the garden of Gethsemane. We're going to see Him sweat great drops of blood. But He's going to look forward to what's on the other end of the cross. The glorification that will come. The the salvation that He would purchase for you and I, the, the hope that He would provide for all of mankind. And He's going to take time here in the upper room to pour into His disciples. I'm looking forward to going through the next several chapters and how Jesus just pours in those last hours into these men. I've learned this and. You know, sometimes as ministers, we desire to have a big sphere of influence. We desire to have a, a wide audience. Well, you look at Jesus. He spent most of his time pouring into those 12, those, those disciples. He spent most of his time uh, giving his heart to these men. And that's where I truly believe discipleship takes place. That's where, uh, that's where deep-rooted relationships are formed. And I, I know this to be true, that God desires, and we're going to see it in the text today, He desires that His people would be tight-knit, that, that we would not be shallow in our relationship with one another, but that we would truly love each other, 
and, and pour into each other. So Jesus is going to begin speaking to these men, the eleven now in the room, those who loved him, those who had left all to follow him, and he's going to give them instructions. But I want you to notice, first of all, this morning he's going to talk about his glorification. Jesus is going to lay out his glorification. I want to, I was reminded of this this week, that God's glory is more important to him than anything else. And you say, what, uh, uh, Jesus is going to go and die for the salvation of the world. Yes, he is. Yes, Jesus is going to do what he has been uh, prepared to do because he loves us. Yes, but I want you to understand that at the forefront of all that God does, his glory is paramount. His glorification is what is the priority. And I want to remind us that, you know, my life and your life, should always be lived in such a way that we are trying to bring glory to God. The ultimate goal in life is not to establish some type of name for yourself. The ultimate goal of my life and your life should be to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. The men and women who have changed the world for God were the men and women who one day in their lives they died to self. They died to their own ambitions. They died to their own uh, purpose. They, they live for something greater than themselves, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to lay this out, his glorification. How would he be glorified? First of all, we're going to see he, he'll be glorified through his death. Now, when the world looked at the cross, they saw humiliation. They saw Disgrace. The Bible says, cursed is those who are nailed to a tree. I mean, when the world, through human eyes, when you look at the cross, it looks like defeat. But in Jesus' perspective, he understood that the cross was necessary for his glorification and for the glorification of the Father. He openly spoke about his coming death. And he always referred to it as Glory, as this would be his glory. It would be the Father's glory, and we see it in the text. It says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Now that Judas would go get the religious leaders, and they would come and arrest him and put him to death, Jesus was saying that my glory is coming. Uh, God is going to be glorified in me as well, God the Father. Five times in these first few verses, 31 and 32, Jesus refers to this theme of his glory, of the glory that would come from the cross, of the, the, the future glorification that he would receive from the Father. I, I love reading Philippians chapter 2, and it talks about uh, how Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that because he did that, because he took on the form of the servant, that God had highly exalted him. God had given him a glory and had given him a name which is above every name. I want you to understand something. In God's eyes, a faithfulness to what he's called you to, even if it means that he calls us to death, if we are faithful to God, that is where glory is found. That is where uh, he will exalt the life and, and, and magnify a person who is faithful to him. And this is what Jesus is personifying here. He's saying, hey, I'm going to go to this torturous death. 
But this is going to be my glory. This is going to be what God, uh, He is going to approve of. It was always the plan that Jesus would give His life for us. Jesus looked at the cross not just for the suffering, but for what it would accomplish. He knew that on the other end of the cross there would be glory. Aren't you thankful for the cross this morning? Oh, religion likes to emphasize other things. See, the false religions of the world, they emphasize what man has done, what man will do, how a man can please God, how a man can earn his salvation. See, false religion always does that. But the Bible, uh, God's way, Christianity, true Christianity always emphasizes Jesus and the cross. Oh, aren't you thankful for that old rugged cross? I was thinking about it. On that rugged cross, the Father was glorified. On that rugged cross, sin was atoned for. When Jesus shed His blood on that cross, it was the only satisfactory payment for sin. I want you to get this picture. All throughout the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the, the need of lambs and bulls and doves and other animals to be, uh, their blood to be shed. It was all a picture pointing to the Lamb of God. The final sacrifice. The one who would come on the scene. Who would live the life that you and I could not live. And he would go and die the death that you and I deserve. He would shed his royal blood. His perfectly sinless blood. For our salvation. For the covering of our sin. You see God was glorified in this. The Father was glorified in this. Because his righteousness and his holiness was not violated. You get this? If one of you had a loved one who was murdered or life taken by someone and they stood before the judge and the judge swept that murder or whatever it is under the rug, would that be justice? No. That would be unjust. Well, let me tell you what. God is the righteous judge and because there was sin, there had to be a payment. Because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there had to be restitution. There had to be uh, some type of payment. And this payment, well, he made it by himself. He made it with Jesus' blood. Oh, he said, hey, you're guilty before me. I'm a holy God. You have sinned against me. And what you deserve is to be separated from me for all eternity but because I love you, oh, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, come on, let's get excited about it. Hey, that rugged cross is where my salvation was born and yours. He sent his son. He sent Jesus here. He was the Lamb of God, like John declared in John chapter 1. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Hey, be look at Him, the one who I'm not worthy to unloose His latchet of His sandal. He has come into the world. He has become one of us so that He can go to the cross and die for us. Oh, that rugged cross, sin was atoned for salvation was perfect was purchased that day in Colossians 1 and verse 20. And the Bible says, And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether it be things in earth and in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. See, the, the reality of the, fact, the matter is this, guys. We were at enmity with God. 
We were under condemnation because of our sin. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way to reconcile us to God so that we could be at peace with God, a holy, righteous God, and we could be accepted in Him. Oh, let's not get over the cross. Let's never get over the fact that Jesus died for us. But the purpose that was the the priority was for the glory of the Father and Jesus would be glorified in it. He said, he said, if God is glorified in him, verse 32, God will also glorify him in himself. See, it's a beautiful picture here. Jesus glorified the Father by submitting to his will and dying on the cross. And the Father glorified the Son by exalting his name above every name. By giving him glory. By giving him a position that only God could, could to sit upon. And I'm telling you, this is a beautiful picture of God and, and His glory. And this is what Jesus is telling His disciples. That it's soon coming that I will be glorified through my death. God the Father will be glorified. And I'm going to be glorified by the Father. And I just want to remind us, as I said a moment ago, we're not Jesus. He had a unique position. He is only, he is the only one and his glory will not be shared by anyone or anything. And the whole purpose of our lives, I want to tell somebody this this morning. You may have found that success in this world has left you unfulfilled. You may have found that you thought that once you got married, once you had the three kids, once you had the house and, and all these other positions or whatever it might be that you would be fulfilled. Let me tell you, you were made by Him and for Him. And you know why sometimes Christians are the most miserable out of all people on the earth? It's because we aren't living to fulfill our purpose, to bring Him glory. Now don't get me wrong, go to work tomorrow, but do it for His glory. Don't get me wrong. Hey, I'm telling you, whatever God has called you to do, do it for His glory. If He's called you to clean floors, Shine those floors for His glory. This morning I went to the men's room and we had a big funeral here yesterday. Over 200 and uh, almost 40 people in the sanctuary. Um, and I want to give a shout out. Susie, she might be listening. Susie, she is amazing. She makes pretty much this church go in a lot of ways. And so she's ministered to this family from Leona Valley. And I believe the, the father passed away a year or two ago, and now the mother of this family passed away, and they had the funeral here. Um, and they did a great job yesterday. Um, but I went to the bathroom this morning, and there was a little puddle in front of the, <laughs> the toilet, right? <laughs> Looks like somebody missed it, you know. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> and so I slipped, and it almost fell. <laughs> and um, I had to humble myself really quick, though. Go get the paper towels and, and clean it up, right? And um, even if doing that is for God's glory, I'm telling you, whatever we do, whatever our hands finds to do, we should do all as unto God for His glory, His glory alone. I want to live for His glory, not mine. See, the glory of man will fade. Solomon in all his glory, the Bible says. Uh, he, he couldn't even compare it to the lilies of the valley uh, that grow. And, and it's the same thing. It's like we all have this 
uh, this limited time, right? A cut flower. You know, I remember glorying in my strength and the fact that I was athletic and all, and that is soon gone away. The glory of man. But if we live for the glory of God, if we live for His glory alone, there is, uh, there is fulfillment that is not found anywhere else, people. I want to encourage you with that. This is why Jesus followed through. He wanted to bring glory to the Father. So He's going to be glorified through His death, but I want you to see He's also going to be glorified in His departure. He's going to be leaving soon, and He tells this to His disciples. Look at this. In verse number 33, it says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek Me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So I want you to see this. Jesus addresses these men who loved him, who served with him for three years, and it's coming to an end. And he, he addresses them, first of all, with this term of endearment. He says, my children, my little children. <laughs> um, this is not in any way demeaning these men. This is not in any way uh, looking down on these men. He is saying it from an, a love that he had in his heart for these men, a concern that he had for these men. He says, my little children. We'll see, of course, in, in 1 John and the other epistles that John writes, he refers to those who his audience were as my little children often. And it's a term of love. He, he tells them that he's going to be with them just a little while longer. He says that they're going to seek him. And where he's going, they cannot come. This news, no doubt, rocked the disciples they had left everything to follow Jesus. And they had lofty expectations, didn't they? They would soon be arguing about who's going to sit on his right hand, his left hand, in his kingdom. They thought for sure that Jesus, being their Messiah, would establish his kingdom while he was there on earth. And now Jesus is telling them otherwise, that he was going to leave them, and that where he was going, they couldn't come. They were sure Jesus was going to set up his kingdom then and there. But Jesus sheds light on what his plan is. And so he said to them, like I told the Jews, I, I said this also to the Jews, that where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, I want you to get this picture. Jesus was not saying the same thing that he said to the Jews, to the disciples. The, many of the Jews were unbelievers. They didn't believe. And Jesus is going to say later on in this chapter that, to Peter, he's going to answer his questions about this, and he's going to say, you can't come with me now, but later you will come with me. Later you will be with me. And um, he was giving them comfort. Hey, I'm going to go away. Right now you can't come where I'm going, but one day you will. And I want us to just remind us this morning, right now we're here on earth. Right now we, we are separated in a sense. We're not... We, we aren't in His presence in a sense uh, physically right now. We have His Spirit within us. But one day we will be with Him. One day those who have that relationship with Him will be in His presence. And right now, I don't know about you, but heaven's looking sweeter every day as this world, <laughs> this world just goes to heck, right? A few years ago, maybe five years ago, I would have thought that this 
this nation in particular was a lot more righteous, a lot, <laughs> a lot of things. Maybe I had my rose-colored glasses on, but I thought things were a lot better than they actually are. And what God has, I've been, been doing in my life, maybe yours too, over the last few years, is He's reminding me not to tether my heart to this world. That I was made for another kingdom, that I have citizenship elsewhere, and that I am to be in this world, but not of this world. I am to live out my life and be faithful to Him for His glory in this world, but I am to be looking to the other country. This is why Abraham lived in tents. This is why Moses left the king's palace, Pharaoh's palace, to pursue God. I'm telling you, if you look throughout Scripture, the men and women who have changed the world were the men and women that the world couldn't change. They were not tied to this world. And I want to tell somebody in here this morning, hey, there is coming a day. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to return or He may call you home and you will no longer be in this world. And what this life is simply is preparation from the, for the day that you and I will meet God. I want to ask you this question. Are you ready to meet God? The Jews that Jesus referred to, many of them were not ready. They were unbelievers. And for an unbeliever, when you die, you are separated from God. And this is, and you will not be allowed entrance into heaven. I was sitting with someone and for lunch recently and he was telling me how he was talking with someone and telling him that everybody is God's child and that, <laughs> yeah. That we all are going to end up in the same place. And the truth of the matter is not. That is not true. There are people who will spend eternity with Him. And there are, there are many. And the Bible says that there are far more. Listen to me. This is scary. There are far more who take the broad road to destruction. And you say, Pastor, it seems like every week you're talking about this. Hey, I see the day approaching. Don't you? There are people right now in our neighborhoods, even in, maybe in our family, maybe even under your roof, that if they were to take their last breath today, they would not be with Jesus in heaven. They would not be able to go to where he is. For the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm so thankful that is the case. But for the unbeliever to be absent from the body is not to be present with the Lord, is to be separated from Him in a literal place called hell. Oftentimes, Spurgeon would preach on hell and he'd have tears streaming down his face. I think oftentimes we entertain ourselves to, to the point and we, we keep ourselves busy and we put out of our mind the tough concepts that we find in Scripture of things like heaven and hell and eternity. And I'm telling you, I know it's not comfortable. I get, Let me tell you, it's not comfortable to sit up here and preach about it and, and to talk about it. And But I'm telling you, it is, it is necessity. It is important that we be the ones that point people to Jesus because there is a heaven that's sweet and there is a hell that's hot. You notice Jesus didn't speak of this until Judas was dismissed. We've got to be 
sober about this. Oh, I thank God for John and the Gideons and men, businessmen who realize that, hey, business is just for a few years, but eternity is long. I'm going to give myself and my resources towards something that matters for eternity. Oh, that story of that little girl. I was reminded this week that the mission is far more greater than anything that I may have going on in, uh, in this temporary you know, life. I found out that one of the players that I, I coach with, that he's, he lives with his grandparents, and, and uh, I found out that this little boy, his father killed his mother and then took his own life recently. Let me tell you, just just hearing that and just understanding now a lot of why he is how he is and just understanding that, you know, my purpose and my interaction with this young man isn't to teach him how to put a ball through a net necessarily. My interaction with this young man is to point him to Jesus. And I want to tell you guys, You have people like that in your sphere of influence. You, you have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea what it is that they're carrying. And it's our job to, to get them to Jesus. So he says to the disciples, he says, hey, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come right now. But you will come later. He, he tells them later. The disciples would be there and witness when he would ascend to heaven, where he would uh, get up, that cloud would come and take him up to heaven after he showed himself alive on the earth for 40 days. You guys understand that our faith is a verified faith. The Bible is clear that Jesus was saw after was seen after his death by upwards of 500 people. There are accounts after account after account of the risen Savior. Hey, how many witnesses in court does it take to to uh, verify an alibi or to, to to verify you know guilt for someone? It takes one witness. I'm telling you, but there's hundreds of witnesses, eyewitnesses account of the resurrected Savior. Let that embolden you to share the gospel this week. He is alive. Our faith isn't a fairy tale. Our faith is a more sure word of truth by which we can base our eternity on. You're here this morning because you've based your eternity on Jesus Christ and His risen uh, His risen status that He has resurrected from the grave. And I want to just remind us of that. I was reminded of this week. I don't preach some uh, some powerless message. I preach uh, the gospel. Paul said it this way. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Share the gospel this week. Jesus spoke of his glorification. He would be glorified through his death. He'd even be glorified in his departure when he'd leave them to go away and be once again in the presence of the Father. And I want to see secondly this morning, Jesus is going to give them a command. He's going to give them a command. He says in verse number 34, follow with me. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also 
love one another. Chapter 13 begins and ends with love. Jesus, he displays his love for his disciples. He washes their feet. And here in these verses, verse 33, he gives them a command to love one another. To love one another. Maybe you've heard of the old church leader Tertullian. He was, he lived from AD 155 to 220. And he said this, speaking of the Christians of his day, and the, the pagans would say this about Christians of their day. See how they love one another. That was the identifying mark of the Christians in the first century was how they love one another. Oh, we've come a little ways away from that, haven't we? I'm reminded of it all the time. You know, this convicted the fire of me, fire out of me this week. I am guilty of this. You know, some people are easy to love, some are more difficult to love, right? <laughs> I know I could be that more difficult person at times. Well, Jesus is going to give them a command to love one another, to love. Now, he says a new commandment. Now, I want you to understand this is not new in the sense that it was uh, new in the, in the timing of it, like it was uh, brand new. But what he was saying to them was that it was going to be priority, that it was going to be fresh. This commandment that he's giving them should be at the forefront of every interaction that they have uh, in their Christian life is that they were to love one another. And I want you to understand, he directly uh, gave them this command that they would love each other. Now, let me tell you what, you, we're supposed to love the world too, right? Love those in the world, but let me let me lay it out for you. God desires that we have a special love within the body of Christ. I want you to get this. I, I talk about this often. I tell it to my kids so they know. There's one person that I love more than you guys in this house. <laughs> it's your mother. I have a special type of love for your mom. I love you guys. Don't get me wrong. I feed you every day. I, you know, I keep a roof over you. But I love mom with a special love. And I want you to get that picture in your brain. For us in Christ, the way that we love one another, it should be paramount. It should be the priority. I want to remind some of you husbands and wives, hey, uh, if your husband or wife is saved, that this applies. How you love your husband who's in Christ, it should be evidence of your relationship with Christ. And uh, I, Jesus is going to give them this command. The Greek word, is it, it implies a fresh look. Uh, uh, it, it means recently uh, given in the sense that Jesus is, is telling them, hey, I want you to reprioritize how you do things, how you live. You see, a lot of people like coming to church and they like hearing the sermons and they like worshiping. But when the Bible calls for us to change our lifestyle, that's when the rubber meets the road. I was in Costco this week and um, trying to make a return. I was a little frustrated because I, I forgot one of the pieces to the thing I was trying to return. I had to go all the way back home 
and go all the way back to the store. And, and I, it was inconvenient. I was on a tight schedule. But as I'm there, I'm kind of in my, my feelings. And three, I kid you not, three times people are like, hey, Pastor Abram, I, I've never seen these people in my life. Hey, Pastor Abram. Hey, pa- hi. How you doing, brother, sister? Hey, you know. And um, <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Like, it's impossible for us to, in the church this size. You know, on a good day, seven hundred people in this place, and and um, it's impossible for us to know everybody. But I should, and you should love everybody in the body of Christ. You should have time for people. Jesus is giving them this command to love. Love. And now you know there's three different types of love. That is laid uh, words for love in, in the Greek language or Aramaic. But the word that Jesus chose to use here is that of agape. It's an unconditional love. It's a love at all times. It's a love... That supersedes every other type of emotion or or decision. Now, I want to remind us this morning that love is always going to be a fruit, an outpouring of the Spirit. It is not natural to us to love like Jesus is going to call them to love, but He is soon going to equip them with the Holy Spirit so that they can love like He loved them. And so I want you to get this picture uh, that the love that Jesus called them to was a supernatural love. It was something bigger than us, bigger than what we are capable in our own flesh. I'm not telling you, oh, i got to just squeeze and, and try so hard. i got to be loving. i got to be loving. i got to be loving. That won't last long. The emotions won't last long. We we see it here all the time. People come to this church and they're in love with the church and they're in love with everything and soon the honeymoon is over. I say something to offend them. Pastor says something to offend them. I don't say hi to them in the lobby. I do something wrong. (laughs) And then the honeymoon is over. And the love begins to wane. This is not the love that Jesus is calling his disciples to to live out. He's calling them to his type of love, unconditional love. He says you are to love one another. Now you would have thought that in this setting that Jesus would have commanded them to have an extraordinary love for him, right? He's getting ready to die for for us. But however Jesus instructs them to love one another. Hey, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Not just people in this church, but people who are in Christ. Sometimes people leave Westside and they don't talk to us anymore. And it hurts us. I'm going to be transparent for a minute. Ran into someone this week again. Didn't know they left. And it's hard to keep track of people. It's hard to see all the faces. And... um I couldn't ask in the setting, you know, did something happen? Did, did, I, did, I, did I offend you? Did I hurt you? Did someone else? Like, because the truth of the matter is we, we know that people, are, our feelings are going to hurt. Let me tell you, my feelings get hurt, like Pastor says all the time, all the time. People say, you should be here. You should be doing this. And I'm like, you have no idea. 
I'm just trying to keep my head over water some weeks. I got five kids. I got, I got, <laughs> my phone. You know, I open my eyes. I, I have emails already from Pastor. The things that's messing. I'm messing if you're watching Pastor. I gotta confront, look, listen to me. Loving people sometimes mean you have to confront them. I'm telling you, I've, I've had to do that more than I'd like. And after that, the whole dynamics of our friendship changes. They don't, they don't really want to be around you anymore. Alright, you call them out about you name it. And it, and it's, it hurts. This is why Jesus has called us to love unconditionally. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do as a brother in Christ is to lovingly confront your brother. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We must speak the truth in love at times, and it's tough. Pastoring is tough. Somebody posted something in the Facebook family page that just nailed it this week about how pastoring is weird and how it's tough and the dynamics of it. And not only pastoring, just life is hard, right? I know each and every one of you have difficult things right now you're going through. And it, it sometimes it squeezes us. And so we're irritated. We don't love like we should. I've seen it even in this parking lot out here. <laughs> but I want us to get this. This is so important. That we love one another. That we love one another. Spurgeon said this, We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us. And that is far more than we love ourselves. The standard is, is super high. That's why I told you it's going to have to be a work of the Spirit of God. I've experienced the love of people in this church. I've experienced people who have gone above and beyond the love on me. I've talked about Jennifer. I've talked about, I can name many others in this church who have gone above and beyond to display their love and their appreciation for, for me and for Pastor. And we're thankful for that. You don't know what that does for us. It keeps us in the battle some weeks. Because it's hard. I'm not going to sit here in front. It's hard. And you don't know what someone in here is carrying. As I said earlier, and your love and your attentiveness and your true concern and your uh, display of love. Now, love is an action, y'all. It's not just an emotion. It's an action. It's, it's something that we do to show that we love. Jesus displayed it earlier when he washed their feet, when he served them. Uh, and I want you to understand that love isn't just some emotion that, that's fleeting. Love, it, it means that we're going to go in the trenches. It means that you'll sit with that man who just lost his wife and just cry sometimes. That means that you'll visit your brother or sister in the hospital. That you'll sit in that hospital home with that uh, shut-in. I'm telling you uh, that that's what love is. Love is deeper. It's not this shallow thing that the world tries to tell you that when you when you make my emotions flutter, then I'll stay. But as soon as it gets difficult, I'm going to divorce you and go to the next. No. Jesus has called us to agape, unconditional love. Jesus said it this way. Greater love hath no man but that he laid down his life for the brethren. This type of love that Jesus called us to 
is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. I read this poem. It's called, If I Had Known. I want to share it with you guys. If I had known what trouble you were bearing, what griefs were in the silence of your face, if I would have been more gentle and more caring and tried to give you gladness for a space, I would have brought more warmth into the place if I had known. If I had known what thoughts despairing drew you, I would have lent a little friendship to you and slipped my hand within your hand and made your stay more pleasant in this land if I had known. And I want to tell us as a church this morning that we we are called to bear one another's burdens, to love each other with a deep love, not a shallow love, a deep love. And like I said, this convicted me. When was the last time you went out of your way to display your love for a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ? Jesus goes on and he says to them in verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples. Hey, Jesus said that this love would be the mark of a disciple of his. This would be the determining sign of someone who is a disciple of Christ, that they love their brothers and sisters in Christ with a agape-type love. Can we say that we have that? Can we be marked by the world? I, I tell you what, if we started doing this, the world would want what we have. They would see a difference in us. I was reading um, Crazy Love by Francis Chan, and he was saying that our lives shouldn't make sense to the world. I heard about a youth pastor, and this example, I've, I've used it before, but I, I just keep, keeps coming to my mind. He, This youth pastor had met a young man who wasn't a believer. He was searching had a lot of questions, and uh, this youth pastor began to love on this young man. And this young man came to a pivotal point in his life, and the youth pastor had just gotten married. He literally had gotten home from his honeymoon. They were going to unpack in their new apartment when he got a knock on his door, and it was the young man. And the young man had a backpack on. He says, hey, I just wanted to come by and tell you that I'm going to be going away on a trip for some days. I'm just trying to figure some things out. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, and I'm just confused about a lot of things. I just want to get along in, in nature. And Immediately, God put it upon that you pastor's heart. Hey, you go with him. Hey, you go with him. He said, told the young man, one second, wait right here. He ran upstairs to his new bride. He said, honey, I don't know why, but I feel like God is telling me to go with this young man on this trip he's going. I don't know when I'll be back, <laughs> but God, he, he's telling me to do that. And so he, his wife was understanding. He said, you go, honey. And he packed the bag as quick as he can. He said, and he got his backpack and he walked out the door. He said, hey, I'm coming with you. 
And the young man was so shocked, and but he was very happy to have someone go with him. And they spent some days out in the wilderness. And during their time out, that youth pastor was able to lead that young man to Christ. And as I think about that, like, how many of us would be willing to do something to that magnitude, to be inconvenienced, to love on someone else, to be there for someone else, to be the hands and feet of Christ. And I want to just challenge us, church, to rethink our Christianity. You know, I find this to be true. Some of the people who know the most about the Bible, who've been around church the longest, have some of the most (laughs) disagreeable demeanors. I'm going to be honest with you. They, They have the shortest of tempers. They don't extend grace to people. They don't love people. Let me tell you, it ought not be so. Because you, we are to be his, his disciples, be like him. So Jesus calls them to love one another and to love like he loves them. He said, this is how the world will identify you, how you love one another. So we see this morning, I'm almost done. Jesus' glorification. He's going to be glorified through his death. He's going to bring honor to the Father, and the Father will honor him. His command, he gave a command to his disciples to love one another as he had loved them. Oh, what a high calling. And then finally, we're going to see Jesus is going to predict Peter's denial. Now, I want you to see in verse 36, Simon Peter, the Bible says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And I want you to see, I've already talked about this, so I won't spend a lot of time here. But Jesus answers Peter's question of where he is going. He says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. We'll see it in the verses, you know, in the, in the original manuscripts, there were no verse numbers, there were no chapters, right? So here in the verses right afterwards, Jesus is going to explain, John 14, I'm going to my father's house where there are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you, Peter, and the rest of those who will believe on me. So we know that. Hindsight, we know that. But Peter didn't know it at this time, so he asked the question, where are you going? But I want you to see Jesus, uh, Peter's heart in this matter. Peter just wanted to be with Jesus. Lord, where you are, that's where I want to go. And I, I think that that's something that we all should desire, to be where God is, to be with him, to fellowship with him. But Peter asked this question, where are you going? Jesus said, um, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will Follow me afterwards. So you're going to come with me later, Peter. See, also there's a dual uh, meaning here. Peter is going to say in just a few seconds here that he would be willing to die for Christ or die with him. But I want you to get this. Peter would not have the ability or the strength in himself, we're going to see in just a moment, to, to die for Christ until Christ died for him. 
I want you to get this, and this really hit me this week. Sometimes we overestimate self, right? Hey, we, we think in, when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. But in the heat of the moment, you don't really know what you want to do. You want to know why they train police officers and military uh, you know, uh, infantrymen and why they have to go through training because they train them so hard because when the battle happens in a second, you got to be so trained that it's muscle memory. Because you don't know how you're going to react until you're in that moment. And Peter, I believe his heart was was there with Christ. I believe that he truly believed, and I believe he would. If right then and there someone came in and said, die for Christ, I believe he would have. But in the heat of the moment, when Christ was taken away, when the soldiers came, when, when it all went down, and, and now he's falling from afar off, and that little maiden started to speak, <laughs> he had a different reaction. And let's not be too hard on him. Peter, I believe, loved the Lord. And so Jesus said, I have to go, I have to do this first, Peter. Because later on, you will die for me. He didn't say it there, but we know history records that Peter, after he was filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he preached boldly, 3,000 men were saved. He, he, he was used as that spokesman for Christ. Aren't you thankful that when we fall, when we fail, God is gracious and He can restore and He will use those who the world may think is disqualified. Amen? But I want you to notice, uh, Peter, if you read history, he was crucified, but he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. He was crucified upside down. That's how he died. And so, Peter would die for Christ. He would be a martyr but at this point, it was not yet time. So Jesus is saying this to him. You can't follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter's next question is, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And as I mentioned before, Peter doesn't really understand what he's saying. He can't, he can't truly follow through with that at this time. He His... Love and his his devotion to Christ was genuine, but he, he did not have the ability in his flesh to do what only God would do through him in the spirit. And so he says to him, um, I will lay down my life. And Jesus reveals, he says, will you lay down your life for my sake? He asked the question and, and he, 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 because Jesus knows, he already knows what's going to happen. And uh, I want you to notice about Peter's denial, though. Peter, his denial is different than that of Judas's, right? Judas and his denial was intentional and planned. Peter's denial was accidental and spontaneous. When he was in that uncomfortable situation by that fire, He didn't know how he would react, and that's how he did. And so it was a failure, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't intentional like Judas's. Jesus said to him, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And let's not be hard on Judas, on, excuse me, on Peter. Hey, haven't we all been in situations where we should have spoken up? Where we should have set, took a stand? where we should have identified as Christ's followers. 
and we shirked in fear. I was reading, like I said, I was reading Francis Chan's book. He says, one of the struggles of my life is there's often times when I should be more vocal for Christ and I am not. Paul said this, pray for boldness for me. Why would the Apostle Paul ask for for the people to pray for him to have boldness? Because obviously it was a struggle. Anybody been there? It's not easy. But God gives strength. God, through His Spirit, He can use us even in our weakness. And I want to just encourage us. Peter would deny Him, but that would not be the end for Peter. So thankful for that. I was reminded of that as I studied this week. Peter denied Jesus three times, but Jesus gave him three opportunities at that fire. We're going to see later on to acknowledge Him. (laughs) Peter, do you love me? Yay, Lord. (laughs) Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. (laughs) Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. (laughs) You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And I want you to get that picture. Maybe you've been denying God. Maybe you've been a secret service Christian. (laughs) Well, let me pray. I ask that you pray for me and I'll pray for you. That we will be bold. That we wouldn't fear man or their responses. That we wouldn't care what men say about us. That we'd be willing to bear the reproach with Christ if need be. That the Spirit would give us that boldness to be His spokesman like Peter would be. A new commandment. Jesus commands them to love one another. Church family, how are we doing? You know, oftentimes the Bible comes up against us and it rubs us and it exposes us. And, and I'm telling you, this exposed me this week. How do we love? Who do we need to apologize to? Who do we need to make things right? Who are, who in the body of Christ, if they were to walk in that door right now, we're not right with them. Let's make it right this week. Let's love like Jesus loved us. I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come this morning. We're going to continue on. And we're going to have some worship. In just a few moments, when we begin worship, we're going to open up the prayer room. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. I'll be in there. Other men and women. And we want to lift up your your needs before the throne. But if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to come over to the prayer room. God, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He He wants to save you this morning. If you don't have the assurance that when your time comes that you will be with Him, today could be that day where you settle it. You can call on the name of Jesus and He will give you eternal life. He's already purchased it on the cross.